Good morning, good morning. I've uh, looked around at people coming in, and it's lovely to, to be renewing fellowship with many. And if I started naming people, it'd take all my preaching time. If I started naming the people, I'm so happy to see. But I've got to get back to the old founding couple, old Hudson and Joan. Praise the Lord. Where are you sitting or lying down about this stage, are you? Where about are you? Yeah. God bless Put our hands together. Come on. Yes. Old Huddy and Joan. Well, you talk about me being a bit of a father figure, and where do you think I learned it from? I mean, back in the 80s, Hudson somehow or other rolled into my life. I don't think I invited him. I think he turned up. And uh, people all around the country, I was in Christchurch in a Baptist church a couple of weeks ago. Someone started talking to me about Hudson. And all around the place. Lovely. Wonderful. The country needs father figures. So all you people that are aging a little bit and, and, uh, and you've got something in God to share, keep living in Jesus' name. Keep living. We need father figures in this, in this land. Let's got that over and done with. Father's Day. Goodness me. I'll try and work this message into a Father's Day message, but I know what I've come to tell you, so to make it, you know, PC... It's going to be a Father's Day message, but you're going to get what I want to say anyway. In 1963, when I came to Christ, there's one scripture that I read that I've grasped a hold of, and, uh, and uh, I've never forgotten it. And it's Psalm 133. And you probably know it. How good and how pleasant. Come on. How good and how pleasant it is where brethren dwell together in unity. And the scripture goes on with a few other verses about commanding the blessing, etc. But how good and pleasant it is where brethren dwell together in unity. And that struck me because I'd never been to church or Sunday school. I was 28 years of age. I knew nothing about Jesus. And yet that scripture really spoke to me about unity. And I began to look around in the church life and, and what was taking place. How good and pleasant it is where brethren dwell together in unity. And I began to change that a little bit. And I began to say how unusual and infrequent it is where <laughs> brethren dwell together in unity. It's not always good and pleasant. It's sometimes unusual and infrequent. Well, I didn't think it was that funny. <laughs> And as I see the television news and read the newspapers, and you see what's happening in places, you know, the Soviet Union and the Ukraine and the Middle East, oh, man alive. You know, unity is the answer. Do you realize that? One word, unity, is the answer. In fact, the world believed that. That's why some years ago in New York City, they established what? A united Nations, because they know unity is the answer. And you can establish these things because unity is the answer. Short word, so profound, but the answer. But you can establish a place and call it the United Nations and you can name something, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll practice what you name. And that goes everywhere. That works with nations, that works in governments, that works in church life, that works in marriages. You can name something, but you don't necessarily practice what you name. So I want to talk this morning about making good decisions as fathers, as mothers, in family life, in church life. I want to talk about making good decisions 
and I've headed it up like this. Dealing with conflict in a changing environment. Dealing with conflict in a changing environment. That you and I are involved in our married life, our children, our grandchildren, our workplace, our church fellowship. And there will always be change. I, I read this, I thought this was very good. Leo Tolstoy, the, 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 the uh, philosopher. Everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. And dealing with conflict in a changing environment. And there was always change taking place around us. Now you can guess who these guys are. That's King Arthur's court on a bad day. Now King Arthur's court, they would sit round the round table and they would dialogue, they would debate, they would make some great decisions. But something's happened in their life, you see, something's happened, they've got a bit of difficulty, and it's turned the tables, do you like that? Not bad, eh? And it turned the tables on their decision-making ability. And it's very easy for us in our marriage situations, church life, fellowship, whatever, nations of the world, in among all the circumstances of change, it's too easy, too easy to, to break the circle and to become isolated and that's King Arthur's court on a bad day. Now, the word of God is very clear, and, and, and that is why Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus in chapter 4, 29 to 32, makes the statement, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. Do you like that? Isn't that fantastic? Speaking things that are helpful, building others up, that it may benefit those who listen according to their needs. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, every form of malice. And my favorite verse, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. That's a fantastic scripture. That's a good scripture for every father. In fact, it's a good scripture for every mother. In fact, it's a good scripture for every nation. In fact, it would do a lot of good between Ukraine and the Soviet Union at present. It would do a lot of good in the Middle East. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. The simplicity and yet the profundity of that word, unity. How good and pleasant it is. We're families and brethren. We draw together in unity. So, one of the difficulties we have is what I call the fearsome foursome. And I've, I've done some study uh, because I, I am so concerned that, that in the latter years, I'm, I'm just about 80 and I've got to live to be 100 to do all I want to do, that, I've, that I, in the latter years, I, 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 I have a passion for enabling people to see how to make decisions, how to make decisions in the midst of conflict. And I've, I've studied the scripture and I wanted to share that with you today. Here's the fearsome foursome. Get ready, here they come. Suspicion, oh. Intolerance, oh. Envy, oh. Jealousy, oh. I looked in the dictionary to see what they mean. Suspicion, being wary of another's beliefs and opinions and manner as they differ from our own. See, put this into your own situation, maybe in the workplace, maybe in your marriage situation, maybe in some relationship with your children, in the workforce, whatever it is. There's a fearsome foursome, and one of them is suspicion. We're wary of another's belief, and suspicion can go to intolerance. Suspicion grows. We have a lack of respect, 
and we're unwilling to cooperate and, and, and people and things become a threat to our territory and our role. And then that goes to envy. Envy is to look longingly at others, painfully aware of their successes, their possessions and their advantages. And then jealousy, of course, is that fear of rivalry. Jealousy is looking past envy to resentment. And we are driven to produce something that's better than anybody else. And yet when you read the scripture and we start thinking about jealousy, when you read the scripture, the task of every, every, the task of every person who was born again, whether they are in leadership or not, the task of every person is to help to produce people better than they are and not be threatened by it. Can you risk an army into that? I'm telling you some simple stuff today. If only we'd grasp it. Unity. And don't be threatened by building into other people's lives if they become better than ourselves. So, I have looked in the scripture, as I said to you, and I want to give you three important words today that I trust you'll never forget, and it took me a while to find them. Here they come. And I come out of a story between Paul and Barnabas. If you want to talk about people in conflict and learning how to, how to get through difficulties, it's a very good example to look at Paul and Barnabas. And here we are in Acts 15. Here's our, here's our scripture where we're, we're going to glean from. Paul and Barnabas continued in Antioch. Could somebody get me a glass of water? Would they mind us with a glass of water? Just a glass of water, thanks. Paul and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching. Run the tap a little bit first before I get it. I tell you, I've seen some water in some churches in my time. I remember reaching one underneath and bringing it out. It looked like it had life growing in it. In fact, I have a friend who was preaching, and he was preaching in this place, and unbeknown to him, there were two little chalices underneath. One had water, one had the anointing oil. Now, you know which one he picked up. He said it tasted so unusual, and he realized he picked up the anointing oil. Gets in the way of preaching when you want to tell stories. Here we go. Barnabas and Paul continued teaching and preaching. And some days afterwards, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go again and visit our brethren in every city where we've preached the word of the Lord and let's see how they're doing. What a fantastic idea. You see, they'd been on one missionary journey and a couple of years later, Paul said, let's go and let's, and let's visit these brethren in every city. This is the start of another missionary journey. And do you know what? The start of this fantastic missionary journey into Asia, the start of this missionary journey comes by somebody having a good idea. Do you like that? Yeah. I wonder how many of you have had good ideas and you've allowed them to gel a little bit and then over a period of time they kind of fall away a little bit. God delights to find people who are opportunists. You see something, you sense something, and within you, you said, God, how can I get involved in this? How can I get involved in it? That's Nehemiah. He hears one of his brethren come back and says the walls are falling down in Jerusalem. So he says, how can I get involved in this? Fantastic. Good idea. But we've got to go on for our story. So Barnabas determined, oh, oh that's a hard word. These people are planning to put a mission team together. Paul has a good idea. And Barnabas determined. See, I'm talking about making decisions in the midst of difficulty and change. That's a very strong word to come up with if you want to. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. That, that word determined 
is a very strong word to come up with right at the start if you want to make a decision together. I mean, think of it in your family situation. Somebody wants to do something and the other one says, no. Wow. You can't go, you can't go very much further when the door gets shut. And that's what's happening here. Barnabas determined to take with him John, whose surname was Mark. And Paul didn't think it was a good idea to take him with them. Another translation says Paul insisted he wasn't to go. So here they have a fantastic good idea. God is going to be in this situation. One guy said, well, I'm determining. And Barnabas said, John Mark, he's a relative. I want to take him. Paul said, no, he failed us previously. He came on our last missionary journey. He stayed with us only a few days and he left us. No, we're not taking him. Boy, it looks like a great idea right from the start, didn't it? Let's go and visit our brethren. Decision-making in the midst of change and difficulty. Paul said, no, he departed from us from Pamphylia. He didn't come with us to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren to the grace of God. And they went through Syria, enlightening the churches. Goodness gracious me. Well, let's break this open a little bit. Barnabas determined and Paul insisting. Very strong words. The minute that Barnabas determined to do this, it shut the door. And the minute Paul insisted coming back, it locked the door. So how are they going to make a decision? How many of you in your family speak like this? How many of you in decision-making talk like this? A good idea is brought forward. There's a genuineness about the idea. What do you think about this? Well, I'm going to do this. Well, I'm not going to. Well, you're not going to get very much further. You won't get very much further. Here's the first of the three words I want to talk to you about today. The first word is the word tact. In our decision-making, in whatever area it is, three words. Number one is tact. Tact means to be diplomatic. Tact means to be open to discussion, to hear what someone else has to say. There's no politeness. There's no consideration. It's a blanket statement. Well, what happens? They both contended, and then they both selected. See, the the contention was so strong between them that they separated. Now, you can say, fortunately, that God is still in control. There's no panic in heaven. And it's wonderful that in the midst of our difficulties, difficulties, we can find that God is still in control. In this story, they are going to have two missionary journeys instead of one missionary journey. And that's good. But you imagine what's taking place between these two men who were so kind and generous and loving one another and the conflict comes. And that's what happens in any relationship. The minute that we lose tact, diplomacy, and the minute we come without insight and looking down the track, where is this decision that we're making going to take us? See, they both contended. They, they departed. There was no discernment. There was no perception. Barnabas took, took John Mark, and Paul selected Silas, see? and they both went their way. They contended and selected. See, there was no insight. 
If only they'd had some insight about the dealings of God in their lives in the past and to look and to see where their decision was going to take them. They knew that Jesus made it very clear, don't go on your own, go in teams, go in pairs. You've already got somebody called John Mark who's been with us, so why turn him off? Why turn him off? Sure, he might have made a mistake. I remember counselling someone once about a mistake they made. They said, that's not a mistake, it's just another way of doing something. That's quite interesting. They both... Praise the Lord that God didn't write off Mark. Do you know why? Because when you read the second gospel, guess who it's written by? Same guy. God didn't write him off. Paul said, we don't want him. Very interesting. Lacked insight. And what's the third word? Here's the third word. What Paul did, the scripture is very clear in saying, that after they had this discussion, after they had this debate, after there was the argument, after they contested, and after they chose who they wanted to go, and they never had tact or insight, at least Paul went past the eldership of the church, the fellowship. And the scripture tells us that he chose Silas, and he was recommended by the brethren to the grace of God. It might not be God's best, but somehow or other, God can make great things out of things that look to be too difficult. And these are three words that I really would like to impart to you today and for a few moments build some illustration upon them. They're three key words. Tact. In all your decision-making, your unity, all all your decision-making, tact, be diplomatic. Don't come out first of all with a, this is what I want. And then don't come back again and say, no, this is what I want. And then finally somebody goes to get some sort of recommendation in the multitude of counselors. There's a security helping to find the mind of the Lord. I'm going to give you four relationship styles. Then I'm going to guess, ask you to guess who was what in that story with Paul and Barnabas. These are four well-recognized relationship styles, cooperation, retaliation, domination, and isolation. They're four recognized styles. Which one was Barnabas? I'm taking John Mark. What's that? That's domination. What was Paul? I'm insisting that you don't. Well, it's retaliation. Very clear. No cooperation. At least they're talking. It's not isolation. But Barnabas had domination straight at the start. He said, this is what we're doing. You can't build a work on that and you can't build a good marriage relationship on that. And retaliation. And very sadly, you will know, as I've done over 50-something years of counseling people, so many relationships have broken down because people get hurt. They don't know how to make decisions. And they begin to assassinate mutual love and respect. When if only there was some tact and a little bit of insight, where's this decision going to take us? And a little bit of talking to wise people to help them make a good decision. Who thinks this is a good message? Anybody? (laughs) Well, it took me a while to work it out. I tell you, I learned so much about myself as I was preparing this. Let's go on. Paul had actually forgotten lessons from past church life. Paul had forgotten lessons from past church life. Acts 15, same chapter, 
just a little time before this decision breakdown. Some men came from Judea to Antioch. They were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you can't be saved. Jewish people said if they're responding to Jesus, no, they've got to be circumcised as well. This brought Paul and Barnabas into a sharp dispute. Well, you see, it sounds like Paul and Barnabas were a little bit, little bit akin to good, strong debates. A sharp dispute and debate with them. So, so Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question and the church sent them on their way. Wasn't that very good? They had a decision to make. What are we going to do? They say that the Jews say they've got to be circumcised. And what do we say? Well, Barnabas could have said, get the knife out, we'll do it now. Because they were growing up in an environment where some wisdom was prevailing and there was tact and consideration. Among talking themselves, the brethren said, hey, why don't we go to the leaders in Jerusalem and, and, uh, and, and let's, let's talk, see? And so this is, this is the same chapter just before their argument. So the whole assembly became silent. They're now before James and the apostles. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. And when they'd finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. That's insight. At least some wisdom is prevailing here. Paul and Barnabas, they'd just been through these circumstances of learning how to deal with decision-making, and they get themselves in a mess because they'd forgotten what they had been taught through example. What happens here with this leadership? They're discerning, they're observing, and they're visionary. So what's the outcome in Acts 15? Well, it's a very interesting outcome. You know what the third point's going to be. The leadership in Jerusalem say, we should write to these people, we should tell them to abstain from food polluted from idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. And then the apostles and the elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them down to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Let's not just give an answer. Let's send some people down there and let's write some letters to send down. And the men were sent off and they went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and they delivered the letter. The people read it and they were glad for an encouraging message. What a difference. Can you risk an amen to that? What a difference of doing things the right way rather than doing things the wrong way. And those three points, I've looked at other passages of Scripture, and those three points, they they come up in different places, whereby there is a need in decision-making, one, to be diplomatic, to have tact, two, to have insight, what's going to happen if we make a decision down this avenue, and thirdly, to have some wise advice through some pillars in the church, not caterpillars, Pillars, people of strength, tact, insight, and endorsement. They'd learned, they'd seen it done, but they didn't do it when the time came. Let's go back to those relationship styles. What have we got this time? Retaliation? Not at all. Domination? Not at all. Isolation? Not at all. Cooperation? Yes. 
something very good. I've made a PowerPoint as simple as I can because, because the, the, the simplicity will help us to grasp and walk out of here later on today, hopefully saying, tact, insight, endorsement. And we'll remember it because it's, it's, it, they are factions that can be exercised in any decision-making process. And particularly as Father's Day, some of you fathers need to hear this. Some of you mothers too, by the way. You see, what had happened is that Paul had forgotten a lesson learned in earlier life. Let me, let me take us into this passage here. In earlier life, Paul had forgotten a lesson he'd learned. Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving Jesus is the Christ. He'd had a conversion experience. After many days had gone by that Damascus road, many days gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night, lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall, and when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not really believing that he was a disciple. That's called being in no man's land. That's what it is. It's in no man's land. The Jews didn't want him because they felt that Paul had left, that Saul had left their cause. And the Christians didn't want to get close to him because they thought it was just another ploy in his way of getting them that he, that, that he might persecute them and getting to know them. But Barnabas, oh, but Barnabas. I'm just looking at that, Hudson, and thinking of you. But Hudson, I bet there are plenty of people around this country who've been through difficulties and in no man's land, and they say, but Hudson because you, you've, you've been a bit of a Barnabas. You break into people's lives. And you've been a good father figure to me. You break into people's lives. But Barnabas, but Hudson, but whoever it might be, when you and I are meeting people, we have an opportunity to encourage them, to break in. But Barnabas took Paul and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he'd preached fearlessly. In the name of Jesus. Here's two things that Barnabas had to do for Paul. There are two important things that Barnabas had to do for Paul as he had come out of that difficulty. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Number one, he was not to hold the past against him. Can you see that? Do you see that? He was not to hold the past against him. And Barnabas told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. And secondly, he was to believe the best about him. Two things that Barnabas had to do for Paul. Number one, he was not to hold the past against him. God's a God of the second chance. And God will pick people up. God will enable people, if they repent and come to him, to have a second chance and a third chance. Great is the grace of God if we continue to repent and ask for his assistance and help. Barnabas didn't hold the past against Paul, and Barnabas believed the best about him. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? What's the two things Paul didn't do for John Mark? 
What's the two things Paul didn't do for John Mark? Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark, but Paul thought it got good. He did not believe the best about him. Mark departed from them, from Pamphylia, and he went not with them to the work, and Paul held the past against him. The very two things that God's favor and grace that had been applied to Paul, Paul was not willing or had insight enough to make allowance for somebody he came in contact with. Quite profound, isn't it? The very two areas that were graciously given over Paul and his life, he was not willing to exercise over the lives of another. Let me begin to wend our way home. I said begin, we're beginning to wend our way home. Once conflict exists, I want to give just a few pointers very quickly. Once conflict exists, rather than making split decisions and bang, I'm not doing this and I'm determining and I'm insisting, find out where is it occurring. I want to give half a dozen tips here. If you're aware of conflict, In your situation, marriage, relationship, work, whatever it might be, fantastic tips. Number one, where is it occurring? Number two, what level has it attained? Is it low level or is it high energy level? Does it need a little time set? Who is it being directed at? How well is it being managed at present? So important. Once you're aware conflict exists, don't leap out. Don't leap out and begin to make decisions that are unfounded. But you've got truth. The truth has to come out. You know, truth is awfully clinical. You know, truth can be colder than ice. When truth is in the Scripture, according to the wisdom of the Holy Spirit who ordained the Scripture to be written, truth is not on its own. In the Scripture, you read of mercy and truth, grace and truth, love and truth. Because truth is awfully clinical and awfully harsh. That's why it's good to have mercy, grace, and love alongside the investigation. How well is it being managed? Can you clearly identify the source? Is time needed to heal the dispute? Once you're aware a conflict exists. I learned a sentence a long time ago that I want to share with you. It's, why is he telling me this now? Has anyone heard that sentence? Why is he telling me this now? It's a great sentence to help you in areas of conflict in your decision-making. Why, why is he telling me this now? When anyone comes to me and starts talking to me, I'm not moving my lips, but quietly in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking that sentence. Why is he telling me this now? Why is he? Is he the one? Why is he telling me? Does he want to get in first before somebody else? Why is he? Should it be somebody else who's saying this? Why is he telling me this first? And the second thing, why is he telling Me. Why is he telling me? If you've got ought against somebody, go and speak direct to them. Why is he telling me? Am I the one to know about this? Is he trying to curry favor with me? Why is he telling me? And thirdly, why is he telling me this? Now, do I need to know? Should some more time be given? And these are little tips that will help us not to make hasty decisions. Don't make hasty decisions. 
Why is he? Should he tell me? Why is he telling me? Someone else? Why is he telling me this now? And once you're aware conflict exists, what level has it attained? Oh, so important. We're really homeward bound now. Here's Paul in Colossians chapter 4, and the year is 62 AD. 62 AD, and Paul is under house arrest in Rome. And Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, and he's saying, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. It's amazing how time can do something to us, isn't it? It's amazing how we can soften a little bit when we start to evaluate. What am I fighting for? You know, when it comes to making decisions, a great truth that you learn as you get older is to pick your battles. Pick your fights. Some things are not worth fighting over. Pick your battle. And then, four years later, in 66 AD, in 62 AD, Paul is under house, uh, house arrest. But four years later, in 66 AD, Paul is still in Rome, but he's in prison. And he only has a few weeks or perhaps months or perhaps only weeks. And he's writing this to Timothy, who's pastoring the Ephesian church. And he's saying to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Do your best to come to me quickly. Demas, he's loved this world. He's deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. What an amazing story. Do you know some of the things I glean from this? The first thing is this. Make sure that the words you say about somebody today are soft because tomorrow you might have to eat them. And some Christians are like old shoes. They're all worn out except the tongue. Fantastic story, really. Fantastic story. Amazing. So I've talked about how to make decisions. And, and uh, this word has come so much on my heart. I want to I preach it. I want to preach it wherever I go because I can see that we can grieve each other, particularly among the body of Christ. But if we learn how to care front. Some years ago in the counseling realm, over 20 years ago, there was a, there was a change of word in the counseling realm. It used to be to confront. We confront someone. And somebody in introduced a new word, carefront. That's a lovely word. We want to confront, we want to say something, but carefront. I care enough to talk to you about this. And I've often gone to people and say, look, I really need to talk to something over with you, and I, I care enough to talk with you. Can I carefront you? Fantastic. You say confront, you say carefront, hey, I care. What a fantastic word that we might avoid these issues. Okay, we're really homeward bound now. Ta-da, ta-da. I brought this tie all the way from Tauranga because I wanted to use it as an illustration. And I can't tie the blooming thing without a mirror, so I'll stick it like that. <laughs> Are you like that? I've got to look in a mirror to tie your tie. Good. Good. Yeah. It's not bad, is it? 
why on earth would this preacher who's come from Tauranga want to stick a tie on when he's about to finish the meeting? Because I want you to remember. That's why. Memory functions better with method. And I want you to remember. Because what I've talked to you about is a tie. Tact, insight, and endorsement. Never forget it. It will help you in all the issues of your relationship. Tact, possess it. Insight, exercise it. And endorsement, seek it. Tact, possess it. Or you might have to learn. Don't be afraid to speak things over with one another. I have learned so many things in the many years I've been living as a married man. 56 years gets better every day. Boy, have I had some learning to do. And my wife, because we've learned to talk with tact, with insight and endorsement. So I've got to finish with these guys before we close off. Perhaps they should have put their ties on before they started their discussion. Because they certainly had something that turned the table on their decision making. And perhaps if they wore some ties before they started their discussion, they wouldn't be looking out into space, wondering where on earth was that love and grace that was in my life? What's happened to the, the good times? And some people are like that. Some of you are like that. What happened to the good times? And we get so hurt that we don't want to approach something. What happened to the good times? And then we'd rather play no speaks or stay late at work because we don't like coming home early to be confronted. Well, we, we get all sorts of difficulties. Yeah. The final scripture is Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. The scripture says, Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. But I love it in the amplified version. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the sons of God. And here's the amplified version. Blessed enjoying enviable happiness, spiritually prosperous, with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward conditions, are the makers and maintainers of peace, for they shall be called the sons of God. That's so good that you should read that out loud with me as our closing statement. Would you like to read it out loud? Shall we do it together? Blessed, hey, I didn't say whisper. Here we go. Blessed, enjoying enviable happiness, spiritually prosperous with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward conditions, are the makers and maintainers of peace, for they shall be called the sons of God. We're going to conclude. I'm not going to invite you to come out here. I will say, if you require prayer after the service, feel free to come forward. There will be people to pray with you. If you want to come forward for any issue in prayer. But I do want to make an appeal and invitation this way. Because wherever God's word is proclaimed, there needs to be a response in people's hearts. There needs to be a response. Not necessarily coming to the front, but some sort of response. If I were to say to you, how many of you, how many of you have really got to make a change in, in your relationship? Stand to your feet. Well, I think, I think most of us would be standing to our feet. But I'm going to say this. Come on, musicians, we're going to sing one last song. Here we go. Well, here, here's what I'm saying. When the musicians are playing, we're going to remain seated while we're 
looking through and singing the first verse. We'll sing the first verse through seated. Listen, we're going to sing the first verse through seated. And I would say this to you. Don't stand because you know that there's a difficult area that you've got. But start thinking right now what the difficult area is and what you're going to do about it. Start thinking of what the difficult area is. I played no speech. Why did I cut my husband off? What about that? I've got to do something about it. I've got to, Lord, I'm going to pray to you and I'm going to make that. And if somebody starts talking to you and you've had a problem, accept people. Don't just stand because, yes, I've got a difficulty, but stand after we've sung the first verse. If in your heart you said, God, this is my problem, and I know this is a way that I can exercise grace and love, that this problem can change, and I can enjoy the relationship that you intended me to have. And then quietly stand as a testimony to those around you. They don't need to know what it's about. But you need to make a declaration that you can look back on and say, I stood because I'm going to follow through on what I feel God talked to me about.